We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. So Sculpted, Sculpted, brand new series here at Hope Church. Like Pastor Lance said, we'll be walking through the book of Ephesians together over the next few weeks, and we really believe that God is going to use this powerfully because one of the great things about the book of Ephesians is that it gives you some rich theological things that you can grow in your faith and challenge the way you think about God, help you to understand who he is, but it also gives you some fantastic handles. How do I put this stuff to practice in my life? So we're excited, and uh, the tagline for this series is Masterpiece in Progress, and you know, what we believe is that you are God's masterpiece, as you're going to see in a second, but you're not there yet. We are on the way. We are in progress. God is working on us all right now. Before we jump into this first message in the series, let's go ahead and pray, and let's just ask for the blessing of the Spirit of God in this moment. Jesus, we're so grateful for you, for your word, for what you've done to this point this morning at Hope Church. God, we, we just surrender our heart to you. We say yes to what you want to accomplish in us. So God, we just pray that the soil in our heart would be ready to receive the word of God today. I pray that as I communicate, that I would not only be speaking, but I would be hearing, that I would hear your voice as you're, as you're speaking through me. So God, I just pray that these few moments, Lord, that you would be lifted up, you'd be glorified, and that as we leave this place, we would look more like you, Jesus, which, by the way, is what we pray for in our nation, Lord, that our nation would, would come back to you, that we would return turn to you, Lord. So we lift up our governments and our leaders, our president. Lord, we just pray that you would surround them with godly influencers, with people that would help to steer things back to you, Lord, that we would be a nation that would once again repent and realize our great need for you. And God, I just pray that it would begin in us here in Montana, in Kalispell, in my family. God, let it start with every individual in this room. God, we pray for, we ask for, we, we expect and we desire revival in our heart and in our midst. So, Lord, we, we just ask for your help here today, but also in the greater picture of our nation and where we are right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this message uh, today, the first one that we're talking about, we're going to be digging into Ephesians 1. And really the idea in Ephesians 1 that you will see is that God is still in control. It might feel a lot of times whenever you're looking at your life and the things around you that things are not in control and you might not feel like you have a lot in control, but God is still in control. And uh, it's funny though, this, this relationship that we have with control, I know myself, I like to label myself as a uh, recovering control freak, meaning I, uh, I have control freak tendencies, but I realize I need to let go to the Lord a lot more. But uh, a few years ago, we got to go up to Tulsa, Oklahoma, my brother-in-law, sister were living up there at the time. They recently just moved to the mission field in Honduras. He is a missionary pilot. And at the time they were doing, he was still training. So while they were doing training in Tulsa, we got to go up there and we got to visit. And uh, he took us up in this little plane and it was a really cool experience that we got to wheel this plane out and he got to fly us above Tulsa. He let me take off off of the runway and not land, just take off. But it was, it was so much fun. But the plane's so small couldn't take everyone at the same time. We took Brooklyn first, and then we took Judah, and Judah was so pumped. He was so excited. His expectations were so high. Look how adorable that kid is. He's so pumped, so excited about this opportunity to go and fly in this plane. Now, 
my perspective was that he understood we're going to go and we're going to fly in this plane and Uncle Stephen is going to fly it for us. We're just going to look around. We're up in the air and Judah's not happy. We're flying around and it's like this amazing experience where we get to fly around in this little plane and Judah is crying his eyes out. He's upset and I'm like, I wonder, I talked back to Brooke, you know, trying to talk to her through the radio, comm system, whatever. Is he scared? What's going on? We're trying to figure it out. Brooke is like trying to talk with him. Are you worried? Are you, are you scared? Do we need to turn this plane around? And he finally speaks up. And this is what he says in the middle, in the air above Tulsa. He says, I want to fly the plane. <laughs> and he didn't want to ride in the plane. He thought as a three-year-old, I want to fly this baby. I want to take over. I want to fly this plane. And you know, the, the truth is that we really treat God like that and our life like that. Like, I want to take control of it. Even though he's the one who was qualified to steer it, and I need to trust him with every moment of my life, I have a tendency to want to take back the, the steering wheel and, and, to, and to steer and to control. But if we understand he is worthy to be trusted, he has this thing in his control, we don't have to fear so that's kind of one of the main themes that you're going to see in Ephesians. I want to read to you our key verse from the Sculpted series. It's in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says that we are God's masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. And here's why. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So you see a couple of things there. You see that you are a masterpiece you're not there yet. You're on the way there, but we're going to see in a second how God is not in the same, uh, he's not in the same linear timeline that we are. So when he says you're a masterpiece, you are. Even if you're not there yet, you are a masterpiece. The other thing is that it says that he planned good things for us long ago. Those are some of the main themes that we're going to dig into today as we look at the book of Ephesians. So I want you to understand, as we look into this book, God is not winging it. He has a plan. He has everything under his control. So today's message, if you're taking notes, here's the title of today's message, Under Control. Under Control. If you, if you recognize and you understand that God has things under control, it changes the way you live your life. He has a good plan for you and for humanity. Let me give you uh, a couple of behind-the-scenes facts about um, this book, about the book of Ephesians, to help us just set the stage for what this book is saying to us. So Paul is an apostle. He, is, he was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee and nailed every letter of the law to the T. He did it all. He has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, is blinded. Jesus gets his attention, calls him to follow him, and he, he is the epitome of the apostle. Whenever you think about who an apostle is, Paul is the guy, and he plants churches all over the world, and as he is planting over that modern, over that world at the time, and as he's planting churches, he is He'll raise up a church, then he'll raise up leaders, and then he'll head to another spot. And he'll raise up a church, raise up leaders, and head to another spot. But if Ephesus is unique in that he had a special relationship with this church. He actually stayed in Ephesus longer than any other church. He stayed there for three years. So he had close, intimate relationship with these people. This book, the book of Ephesians, was written as one of the, what's known as the prison epistles. So he wrote the book of Ephesians from prison. As he's in prison, he is writing and telling, giving this direction to the church in Ephesus. 
Ephesians, if you think about Ephesians, what it is and what is stated in Ephesians, it's often known as to scholars as like quintessential Paul. If you want to know Paul's theology, if you want to know what he's about, what he believes, look at the book of Ephesians. A lot of his theology, his theology that you see in other books is wrapped up or really concisely stated right here in the book of Ephesians. And, but here's one of the cool things about the book. Even though Paul was in prison and wrote it to the Ephesians, Paul wrote it in such a way that many Bible scholars believe, most believe, that it was written not just for them, but it was written for you and I. It was written for the local church. So not just Ephesians in their context. There's a lot of books in the Bible that when you read them, it feels like God's not speaking directly to you, even though you can pick out some things that are like, hey, there's definitely, I see the character and the nature of God in here. But obviously he's speaking to a people group. But in Ephesians, that's not the case. In Ephesians, he's writing to any local church. So he's writing this to Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. He's writing this to you today. And here's kind of how the book is broken up. The first three chapters of Ephesians, there's six chapters in the, in the book. The first three chapters are very theologically, theological and doctrinal, doctrinally heavy. So it's a lot of doctrine. It's a lot of here's what to believe, here's my theology, here's what I've gotten from Jesus that I'm passing on to you. The last three chapters of the book are very hands-on, handles-oriented. Here's how you put this stuff into practice. So that's what you're going to see in this series. We're going to talk a lot about ideas and theology at the beginning, and then later in the series, we'll see how do we put this stuff into practice. Uh, and then, one, like Pastor Lance mentioned, you know, one of the great ways for you to begin to put things into practice in your faith today is get connected in that group that's starting on Hub Nights, that Following Jesus Connect group. It's going to be fantastic. They're going to teach you what it means to follow Jesus. So if you feel like you're in that place in your relationship with the Lord, I need some handles. I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. Connect with that group, and you can find that area in the Connect Group's corner over there. You can sign up today. So the first theme in Ephesians— First theme in Ephesians is under control. When you look at this chapter, you see a lot about God's sovereignty and control in the world at large and, and in humanity's story. So let's start off in Ephesians 1, verse 1. It says this, This letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. So when he's writing this, he's not saying to everyone who sits in the pew to check the religious thing off the box, all these promises are for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the promises that I'm going to talk about in this book are to the faithful followers of Jesus, the true believers. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, and here's where we get in to God's plan for humanity. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Come on, man. Are you grateful for Jesus' finished work on the cross that he purchased us in the middle of our sin? He found us and gave us new life. I love this. This is such good news. It is very, 
It is very common for Paul to have an introduction like this, but Paul quickly jumps into some things that are going to be very, very formative for your theology. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that we're talking about first is that we were adopted before we knew we were orphans. We were adopted before we even knew that we were orphans. What I want to say about this is that God has initiated all relationship with humanity. It's not you. It's not your good works that gets you there. God is not looking down and he's like, oh man, gosh, you know what? I think I'm going to let him in. He's done such a great job. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that makes us right with God. It's not us. I'm not going to do it. I could never do it. Even though I am desire God and I'm hungry for him. The Bible says that even the desire comes from him, that he gives us, that he lures in, he calls us into relationship. He puts something in, in us that longs for eternity, that longs for him. So he initiates all relationship with him. Say it like this, my son Judah, which you're going to hear a lot of stories about him today. When he was 17 days old, he was in our arms through the foster care system, but he was not ours. Now, our heart right away is we wanted to adopt him. We wanted him in our home. Now, the state did not have that plan. We had that plan. Judah did not have that plan. Judah has trouble making plans now. But he, we knew that that was what we wanted. It was the plan that we had from the beginning. And it's not a perfect illustration, but it gives us an idea that God desires before it's even possible for us to desire it, that we would be adopted, that we would become his. It was his plan at the foundation of the earth. Before your name was spoken, before you were a twinkle in your mom and dad's eye, you were, you, God had a plan for your life to call you into relationship with him. And what I love about the book of Ephesians, there's this phrase in there that you see 30 times in the book. And the phrase is in Christ, in Christ. So you see these promises and you see these amazing things that Paul is talking about, about relationship with God. And it's like, how does it happen? Let me tell you again, in Christ, in Christ. It's not in Josh. It's not in, it's not in anything you can do, but it's in Christ. It's only in him that it happens. So that's where we see it. Now, in these verses is where the doctrine of predestination gets a lot of steam. Now, at Hope Church, I want to explain to you what we believe about these verses and about the idea of predestination. So predestination is the idea that God chose you before, he, and, but he chose some people for heaven, and he chose some people for hell. Some, of, some people are just created for burning forever. Some people are made for relationship with him, and it's just up to him. And while we do believe that God has predestined us all for relationship with him, or he's predestined, he is calling us, we believe that God is calling all of us. And now, with the help of the Spirit, you have the opportunity to say yes or reject that invitation. So there is the act of God calling us before we had a chance but there is also the responsibility of us responding to that free gift of salvation. I wanted to read a, a couple of interesting quotes and just kind of shed light on predestination. Stephen Hawking, who was uh, an atheist, not at all a believer, but he wrote something about predestination that he noticed. I have noticed even people who claim everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it, look before they cross the road. Now, that's an interesting perspective for sure. 
But what I love about this, even in this chapter, it says, it talks about God predestining us, but then it says in verse 13, it says, when you believed, then he gave you his spirit. And we'll read, we'll dig into that in a second. But you see, there is God's invitation and man's response. So you see that again and again, this constantly happening. And when you're looking at a big theme like this, you don't want to just wing it and make up a, a, your theology on one verse. Whenever you're studying the Bible, you want, and you come across something like that, here's a good rule of thumb. Scripture interprets Scripture. So there's this big idea here. What does that mean? What else does the Bible say about that theme? So I'm going to study deeper than this one passage or this one verse, and I'm going to find out what else does the Bible say. When it talks about predestination, Jesus himself says, I long to gather you all to me like a mother hen would gather chicks, but you wouldn't let me. So Jesus is saying, I wanted, I wanted everyone, but some of you rejected me. And then again, you see in Scripture, you see that, that God's heart in, for humanity is not wanting anyone to perish. If he doesn't want anyone to perish, why would he establish some to be destroyed? So you see this theme again that you have to dig into and you have to understand that there is God's will and there is man's desire. And those two things can be very different things sometimes. I took Judah yesterday to ski for the first time, last time this season, um, and we went out to Blacktail, and while we're skiing, you know, I, I just happened to be videoing, and normally I'm a pretty decent skier, but um, I had a pretty bad experience. I had a pretty bad wipeout that I just happened to catch on video. So I love to go into trees, I love to ski in those environments, but it caught up with me yesterday. I took a pretty hard fall yesterday, and I'm feeling it today. I rolled on my left shoulder, and I was oh, just kind of feeling it with every step today. Um, but what was interesting about that is I did not want to wipe out, for sure. In my head, I saw the path I wanted to go, and I'm steering it in my mind, but there was something about my lower body that did not listen to my, my head. And you may have noticed this in your life as you age. Um, you just get slower in your response. So I'm zooming around these trees, and my legs are like, nah, not today. So I, I took this hard fall. And, you know, the Bible says we're going to see at the end of this chapter even, it says that Christ is the head of the church. We're the body. And you see that again in the, in the book of Corinthians and in the, both books. And you see this story and this picture that God has a plan, and he is overseeing what he wants, and he's got this thing that he's, he's steering mankind towards, but we also have choice to be a part of that story in the way that he desires or not. So, you know, whenever you're looking at that, I love the way Winston Churchill talked about predestination. He said, my conclusion on free will and predestination, they are identical. So as he's talking about that, what I think he's saying is that, yes, predestination is a thing. Yes, free will is a thing. God has established both. He has predestined us all to have relate to be in relationship with him, but he's also out of his great love and mercy and wants to create a loving relationship and love's not possible without that free will. I'm going to give you both. You're going to, I'm going to call you from before you even knew you needed to be called, but I'm also going to give you the choice to say yes. So there's both happening there. And uh, Pete brought something to my attention this week as we were just talking about this a little bit. He said, look, remember when DVR was introduced? Anybody remember TiVo? And you were like, you heard about this for the first time and you're like, what? Like I could watch it later? How? Like, how do I even, you know, like, how does that even work? And like, it is amazing that you can record something, watch it later. It feels like it's happening in real time, but it already happened. And, you know, I, 
I'm a Saints fan, and like, you know, especially being here an hour later, if the Saints are playing on the East Coast, for instance, if I want to watch that game, I'd have to record it. So if I want to watch it, I got to make sure I don't talk to Pastor Lance, because he's, he's a Saints fan too. And he's going to be like, oh, dude, did you see that interception or whatever? And I'm like, no, 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 don't say it. I still want to see it. Now, even though I would want to watch it later, that game already happened, right? It already happened, and, and for me, it's hard to understand. Like, how does that even compute for you to understand that God is not linear like this? But it helps us to understand. When you think about predestination, God is not in this. He's not in time like we are. He is seeing things from a different perspective. Now, years ago, I came to Montana for the first time, and I, I was... Um, shown why it's called Big Sky Country. We come up on this hill on this road. We're driving for the first time in my life. I look out. I'm at a higher elevation. And there's like no trees around. I just see this open plain. And in a distance, I see a train. Now, I've seen trains in, in my lifetime, but I've never seen a whole train in my lifetime. So I'm looking out, and I see the front to the end, the beginning to the caboose, and I'm like, that's a whole train. I'm like, I had a toy whole train when I was a kid, but I've never seen a whole train before. So I, it was like the biggest deal to me because in Louisiana, there's trees everywhere. And if you come up on a train track, you're just going to see the cars flying by you and it's just, you know, and it's chaotic. And you're kind of like, when's this thing going to be over? How long is this train? How long am I going to sit at this thing? You have no idea. But I was like, what a great picture. The moment I saw it, I was like, what a cool picture of how God sees life. Because in a linear perspective, it is chaotic and quick. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? This is all I see. This is all I understand. But to him, the whole thing, start to finish, and where it's headed, actually, he's steering the whole train in the first, in the first place. All of it, when you look at it that way, to me, it helps me to understand how God can be outside of time. It helps me to realize how a verse, and it helps me to see how a verse like this can give me such life, because, you know, the Bible says that I'm free from the curse of sin. Well, I still sin. I sinned yesterday. I'm going to probably sin today. I don't want to, but it's, it's in me, and there are some things I need the help of the Spirit of God every day not to fall into sin. So how can I be free from sin but still sin? Because when Paul's writing things like that, that you're free from the curse of sin, he's, he's talking about the future. What, what the curse of sin produces, you're free from it. And then Paul writes stuff like, you're seated in heavenly places, and it's like, no, I'm like at Starbucks. Like, what does that mean that I'm seated in heavenly places? Paul is writing about the future like it already happened because he understands that God is outside of time. So that, that perspective really helps me. I love this verse in the Bible. It tells me in Romans 5.8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So what I love about this perspective is that it shows me, you know what, I'm going to surprise myself sometimes with how bad I can be, but I never surprise God. And his mercy is so rich that he, when he died on the cross, he did all of that. He took into consideration what I would be doing tomorrow. And I can't see it yet, and I'm going to disappoint myself, and we're going to disappoint each other, but Jesus still loves you the same. In, in, in um, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes about the concept of time, and maybe this will help you as well as you think about predestination. C.S. Lewis says, all the days are now for him. He does not remember you doing things yesterday. He simply sees you doing them. Because, you, because though you have lost yesterday, he is not. 
He does not foresee you doing things tomorrow. He simply sees you doing them because though tomorrow is not yet there for you, it is for him. And I think what a great perspective. And when I read that a few years ago, I was given this revelation that helped me out personally, that if I have ever felt the love and the presence of God, I should always feel loved by God and should always be ready to enter the presence of God because there's nothing I'm going to do between now and then that is going to change God's plan for me. There is nothing that I'm going to do that is going to make God say, ah, you just went too far. Because he saw all of me when he was on the cross. He saw it all already. And if you've ever felt the love of God, you should always feel it. You are his masterpiece. You don't look like it yet, but you're on the way. And he loves you right where you are. Let's continue in verse 8. He has showered kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he has chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. If you're taking notes, here's the second thing. We have a role in God's mysterious plan. You have a role in God's plan. Now, if I have a role in something, I want to know what that role is. I want to live my life on purpose. The other morning I woke up and it was uh, kind of one of those lazy mornings. It might have been a Friday or a Saturday where I didn't really have to get out of bed. And I'm looking up, I'm just laying in bed and the daylight's coming in and I see a spider on the wall near the ceiling. Now, I don't really have a problem with spiders. I'm not like afraid of spiders, but you know, I was probably gonna kill it anyway. So I'm watching this spider and I'm already like, you're on thin ice, man, just cause you're a spider. So like it starts making its way around my room. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, what is it doing? Like, what is it? It's this tiny spider. And I mean, like, for the size of this thing and the size of my room, it's like, for, it's like if I would walk to Missoula or something, right? I mean, I'm like, this thing is just walking around my room, and I'm like, what is it doing? Is it, like, mapping out my room, making a plan to kill me in my sleep or something? What is it? Does it have a plan? Does it have a purpose? What? And it's just walking around. It gets to the other corner. It's like three-quarters of the way there, and I have this thought. I'm like, if that spider goes back to where it started, I'm going to kill it. Because I just, I just can't, I don't know what that thing's up to. I can't take it. So it goes all the way around, and it goes back to the spot it starts, and it just starts over, and I'm like, oh, I can't do it. I get up, and I take a slipper, and I just kill the spider. And here's the reason I kill the spider. Because something in me, when I saw that spider, I was like, there's got to be a reason. If it had a reason for living, and it would have a reason for doing whatever it's doing, I would appreciate that. But it's just walking around in circles, and it bugged the heck out of me. No pun intended with the bug. But it walks around, and I'm just like, I've got to end this thing's life. And listen, don't take, <laughs> don't take, don't take this illustration the wrong way, because God's not looking to squash you. But I think that there is nothing more frustrating to a God that has created you for eternal purpose than watching his creation just walk around in circles, not accomplishing anything. 
not leaving, not leaving a wake of influence in its path, not doing anything with the gift that you've been given. And I think for me, I was just, I know it was a spider, but I'm like, there's something in me that when I see purpose not being fulfilled and just aimlessness, I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't even with this. And I think that God is trying to tell us and trying to awaken the church with these verses that you are a part of my plan. You are a part of my perfect plan. And it's mysterious, it says, to the rest of the world. That means if you don't even know Jesus, you can't even know what this plan is. It's like you wonder if you're like, what is God up to? But when you know him and you have relationship with his spirit, you are a part of that plan. And what is this plan? To bring everything together in unity, to bring all the broken pieces of the world back together, to create perfect unity in relationship with other people and this broken world. It says, the Bible says that all of creation is groaning for that day when everything gets put back together. So I want to give you a couple of facts about Ephesus that really bring this passage, this part of this alive. Ephesus was the most important commercial center in the Roman province of Asia. It was the hub. It was where trade and everything happened. All corners of the earth came here. So when this church was planted here in Ephesus, there was a lot of intentionality behind this. And I don't even think Paul knew how important it was. He was just following the direction of the Spirit of God, and God was up to something with this church. Luke actually records in Acts, he says that the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord because of this hub, because of where this church was. Ephesus had the temple to the goddess Artemis, who's a Greek goddess, and this temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. Like, it's a hub of place. Uh, it's a place that people came to worship false idols, to, to, to come. I mean, it was just a place of, of worldly influence. And God decided to plant this church, Ephesus, right here. The other fascinating thing about Ephesus is that Ephesus was full of both Jews and Greeks. So you can see just in the placement of it that God is already through the local church trying to begin his plan of restoring everything back, bringing unity. He wants to bring Jews and Gentiles together under the name of Jesus. All of that is part of his plan that you see happening here in this early church. And if you can't break down the walls of hostility between us and other denominations and us and other, we, we don't even have a chance to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. We've got all these little dividing things that separate us, and, and it's like we have to bring ourselves under the lordship of Jesus first before you have hope of bringing it to the rest of the world. So I want to ask you, what's your Ephesus? What is your Ephesus? What is your hub of influence that God has planted you in, that he's called you to bring his plan to that corner of the world? He's put you there on purpose. There's a reason for you being there. Verse 13, let's continue. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, there it is, you believe, then he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. 
verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power, like Pastor Lance said, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Here's the next thing you're going to write down if you're taking notes. We are identified by the Holy Spirit. We are identified by the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit of God in your life sets you apart from everyone else. There is something unique about believers. And it's not learning how to do all the right things. It's not following laws to the T, but it is the presence of the Spirit of God enabling us to do what we could never do on our own. Jesus said to his disciples, wait for the, pres- wait for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You're going to wait, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to baptize you with fire. And in that moment, you will become witnesses to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's saying, I'm going to give you something that will enable you to do the thing you could never do on your own. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only the power of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is alive in you. So not only is, are you given power to be a witness, but you are given fruit to stand out in the world to be different, to be attractive, so that when people look at you, they're like, something is different about that person. A few years ago, we went on a tour in Hot Springs, Arkansas, on a duck boat. You ever seen a duck boat before? A duck boat is it's just a boat that looks like a duck, but it has wheels, so it can do land or water just like a duck. It's a pretty fun little tour. We're on this tour in this lake, and this guy is just being crass, He's like the tour guide, but he's being crass. And it's like a family thing, but he's not acting like it's a family thing. He's making inappropriate jokes. We're on this lake, and like there's this big old building, this large mansion. And he's like, that used to be a brothel. And let me tell you, you know, and he's making all these jokes about prostitutes and stuff. And our kids are on the boat. And I'm like, dude, like chill out with us. So he's telling these stories. And then we get a little bit further on the tour. And he's like, and now you'll see to my right. This is the oldest Baptist church west of the Mississippi River, and I just wanted to let you know that this is my church, and I would love to see you join me on Sunday morning here at church. And we were like, yeah, it's not going to happen, bro. Like, like, you just talked in a way that was not related to the, the witness that you're trying to have right here is not what I just saw. And I was just, like, so grieved because I was like, man, this guy... Like, I want him to be a good witness where he is. But he missed the mark. And, and he missed the fact that when you become a believer, there is something different that identifies you, that changes you, that, that makes you stand out, that makes you attractive to the world. And what I love about that phrase that we just that we heard about, that in Christ that's written 30 times in the book of Ephesians, what's crazy is that we believe that for, we might not have a hard time believing that for God calling us and God doing the work, but then it's funny how sometimes we'll be like, yeah, but God, we got it from here. Like, we'll do church from here. So we'll establish some systems, and, and we'll have some small groups, and we'll just do some stuff, and we'll memorize, memorize some Bibles and check some religious stuff off the box, and we'll grow the church on our own. We have no hope of making a church building a church that looks like what Jesus intended without the help of the Spirit. And that's one of the things I love about Hope Church is that we've got systems because they matter. We've got small groups because they matter, but nothing matters more to the core of this church than the presence of God alive and at work in its people. The other thing that it says about what the Spirit of God does is it's like he's a 
a seal of the promise. So there was a promise of good things to come. And he's like, how do you know that it's true? How do you know that there's going to be a day where there's no more suffering? That there's a home that I am building for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. How do you know? I'm going to give you my spirit. And he is the guarantee that what I've promised you will happen. It's kind of like if you ever go to uh, Disney, if you, make a, if you plan to go to Disney, you get before your trip, you get in the mail the magic bands. So when you open up the box of magic bands in the mail, you realize I'm going to Disney now. It's legit because they ain't let you in without those things. But whenever you get them in, you know I'm going to Disney. Now you're not at Disney, but you know you're going because you know that that promise is something Disney will, rep, will recognize. And whenever you go to scan it, your name's gonna come up in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come on now, I'm just, okay. I'm gonna let you. All right, let's keep going. Last point I wanted to, last point I want you to hear. Verse 21. Verse 21. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things, come on, y'all say all things with me. God's put all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Last thing I'm going to leave you with, and just so you know, I didn't mention this in this, um, in this service, but this book is very rich and there's no way I could cover every theme even in this first chapter today. So dig in. You're going to find a wealth of things in there that you can benefit from. But these four major things are things I felt like God wanted to speak to you today. And here's the last thing I believe God's trying to speak to us. We are in the kingdom of the undefeatable king. We're in the kingdom of the undefeatable king. So um, I just thought this was interesting during worship. I had no idea what songs, I didn't look at the songs like when I was planning the message and they didn't look, didn't know what I was preaching as we were planning the songs. Three of the songs are like three of my points, basically. But the last one is we sang this like, this song, Matchless. I just felt such a unity in what God's about to do. Because we're gonna sing that song again, but I wanted, to, I wanted to let something just land with you today. When we talk about Jesus establishing a kingdom and him being an undefeatable king, it's so ironic that even though that is the truth and that is the reality that we are in the undefeatable kingdom, we live and walk defeated all the time. We don't act like we have the inheritance that we have. And I, was, I was playing rock, paper, scissors with Judah not long ago. I was teaching him how to play the game, you know, and he's, and he's learning what rock does, what scissors do, what paper does. And he's kind of like, you know, he's a smart kid. He's figuring out what's going to win. And it's kind of like one of those games. It's like, man, anything can go any direction here. So he starts to throw in his own things. And it's like rock, paper, scissors. And then he, eventually he's like lasers. And it's like, oh man, all right, so a laser could probably break a rock or something, burn paper. I don't know what it does with scissors. I don't know. That's pretty good though, man, pretty good. So we keep playing. He'll throw out a laser every now and then, but I beat him every now and then. And then he's like, rock, paper, scissors, dinosaurs. And I'm like, all right, well, what kind? Because that makes a difference, you know? So he's like, we're, we're kind of playing this game. And I keep, I keep finding a way to still beat him in there. And then eventually 
we get to the last one, and it's the last one because we go rock, paper, scissors, and he goes, God. And I was like, my son understands something that I have a hard time walking in sometimes. That we are in the kingdom of an undefeatable king. He cannot be dethroned. It is already done. He has won every victory. He has fought every battle, so you don't have to fight it any longer. Last story, I just want to tell you again about my son Judah. I just love my son. He came to us 17 days old through the foster care system because he was uh, in a a family where drugs and alcohol were just rampant. There was addiction. They couldn't care for him any longer. He, at the time of conception and all through to birth, he was exposed to drugs. He was a drug-exposed baby. Uh, There's a lot of physical complications that came with that. We were concerned about a few things with him whenever he was very young, but he would have these night terrors, these fits where every single night he would wake up screaming, and this kid's got pipes. I mean, it was like, you're not going to ignore this. And I was told, you know, my mom was a fantastic mom, raised us all. She was like, you got to trust me. Just let him, let him cry, and he'll figure it out. But there was just something. We tried that a few times, and I was like, there's something off about this. And the few times that I got up at night, Brooke was, I'm not going to take her credit. She got up most nights. But there were some nights when I would get up, and I would go to help him, help him fall back to sleep, try to give him a little bit of peace, sit with him a little while, that I would walk down the hallway, walk into his room, and all of a sudden I would feel fear hit me. And like, a, like pins and needles would just shoot through my spine. And you know that feeling when all of a sudden you're in the dark, you're 10 years old, you're in the dark and something's coming for you. I'm like an adult and I'm feeling that. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I don't, I don't roll like this. Like I'm not afraid of stuff, you know, I'm a man. And I've got a child crying, I don't have time for this. But there was something happening. And Brooke and I began to talk about that. And she was like, I felt something too. And we began to just pray through that. And we felt like God was saying, we need to do spiritual warfare over our child. So we began to declare that Judah was free from the curse of sin and death, from the, from the demonic attack that he had experienced as a young boy, that he was going to be in a new family, a shadow of even us being in God's family, Things are different when you get adopted. Judah was going to be in our family. It wasn't going to look the same. So we began to take control back from the enemy in that moment. And we began to pray. We prayed over him and we prayed over him. And all of a sudden, there was one night, bam, it changed. Peace. He slept with peace. And and this is the wildest thing. If you knew Judah at that time, you knew that those first months of his life, he had a temper problem. It's like, I don't know babies could have temper, but this dude was throwing stuff. He was mad. He, this look on his face all the time. If you know Judah now, you're like, no way. Because he's the most joyous kid you've ever met in your life. There is something that happened in the spirit whenever we took back the control and the authority and we stopped letting the enemy have his way in his life. So I guess the question for you is, you, as as the beginning of Ephesians said, as a faithful follower of Jesus, here's the promises. Here's what relationship with God looks like. 
And then he goes through all of it that we just went through, but it ends with, you're in the kingdom of the undefeatable king. He's the head of the church, body. Here's a question, are you gonna act like it? Are you gonna act like you're living in the kingdom of the undefeatable king? Because I just felt today as I didn't even, I threw a lot of this in last minute this morning because I felt like God wanted to deal with some things that the enemy was winning some battles and there was a supernatural war you needed to wage today and take back what the enemy took from you. So I, I just wanted to do a couple things as we wrap up. I wanna give you a chance to say yes to Jesus because he's invited you all in. He's invited all of us into relationship with him. And now the ball's in your court. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna say yes? Are you gonna say yes to the invitation that Christ opens to you today? So I wanna give you a chance to do that. And then the second thing I wanna give you a chance to do is to step all over the devil because Jesus has already won the battle that you still feel like you're fighting right now. So I wanna do something right now. Could we just close our eyes and give people a chance to just hear the spirit of God call them right now? Holy Spirit, you, you're in control of this moment. We just ask that you'd speak to people, speak to their hearts. Thank you that you've been using the message here to do something, but I just pray right now that there would be a strong sense of your calling right now, that you would call people, as Pastor Lance said, from darkness to light. That years ago, I did an altar call as a student pastor and this student gave his life to Jesus. And he told me after, he said, I felt like my heart caught on fire when you made the invitation. And if I didn't say yes, it would blow up. And maybe that's how the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. Something similar, you have to do something with this moment. The most important decision you will ever make in your life is what will you do with Jesus? What are you gonna do with this moment right now? So whether you're online watching or you're here in this room, this is the moment. Maybe you're just not faithfully following Jesus. You kind of made a decision years ago and you're like, you know what? I'm not really living for him. I need to return to him right now. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus today, but today he's got your number. And today is the day of salvation. So if you want to say, Pastor Josh, could you just pray for me? I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. If you're online, just write in the comments, say, I believe or I made a decision today. If you're here in the room right now, as the Spirit of God is speaking and no one looking around, could you just lift up your hand right now? Say, that's me, I see it. Thank you, Jesus, I see it. Thank you, I see it. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to pray together. I want us to just pray a prayer and we're all gonna do this in unison. Just support those who are praying this for the first time today. Let's just pray a prayer of repentance, acknowledgement of our great need for Him. Let's say this, Lord Jesus, I realize today my great need for you and that while I was a sinner, you died for me to give me new life. So today I walk away from the old me and I step into relationship with you. I step into your purpose for me. I lay everything else down to follow you. God, make my life count for eternity. Let me glorify you with every step in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. 
If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.